Welcome, you're listening to the Bible Marathon Project, your one-stop class for learning Bible interpretation, defending your faith, using spiritual gifts, and building consistency in your devotion with God. We hope these sessions are a blessing to you as they have been to us. And without further ado, we say welcome to Hermeneutic Sunday. Awesome. Okay, um, let's get started. Normally, I would want us to do some things before we get to the word, but let's go. So let me just lead us in, in uh, a short prayer and we'll be able to move ahead. All right. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus, we appreciate you for all that you've done for us. We love you. We are privileged to be called your own. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you because you are real, because you are powerful, because your love towards us is genuine. It's displayed once for all on the cross. And we celebrate you for that. Thank you because we are not under the law, but under grace, under the grace and mercy of Jesus. And Lord, as we study today, we go into your word. We want to receive insight into what your word has to say on every topic lord we don't pick and choose we listen to your word we receive it with with, with all meekness and we see work the miraculous in our lives we see work the work that only you can do which is the transformation of our souls lord so we surrender right now and we ask that all these things are ours even as we get into your word in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. All right, I'm going to turn off this one um, in the meantime. All right, I didn't get some, I didn't get enough feedback. I just probably want to hear a few people tell me how they're doing. So before some of you joined, I was having a nice conversation with Treasure. And God is, you know, God is really blessing a lot of us, and I'm thankful to God for that. Um Many, many of us have testimonies. Many of us have different things that um, God is doing in our lives. And I really want you to be able to share those things with the um, family of God. Like, let's talk about these things. Let's thank God. Let's be appreciative. All right. It's, it's super important. When people are um, joyful, the Bible says we should rejoice with those who rejoice. The Bible also tells us to mourn with those who mourn. And so you, you need to be mentally in a position where you can switch between those places. It helps you. It gives you balance in life. Um, and so it's, it's really important. So um, please let's share with you, with you in your wins and in your challenges as well. That's why we're a family. Uh, so welcome, welcome to Bible Marathon. Um, this is where we meet, meet, hey, this is where we meet every Sunday um, and on the group all through the week. Um, but the primary pr purpose of this group is to enrich your spiritual devotion, to enrich your relationship with God through his word. And so we've been doing that. We've been running this race all the way from the beginning of the year. I want to show you a few things. You know, this is just the testimony of what God has been able to do with us in the past half of this year. And it's so amazing. God has been super kind, you know, so many topics we've been able to treat both on Sundays and on Thursdays, you know, and man, it's been awesome. It's been awesome. We've heard testimonies. We've heard a lot of good news from 
number a number of people who've been following this platform. And I just want to say thank you for believing in us. Thank you for believing in the vision. And and I want to say, you know, a big, huge gratitude to God for, you know, allowing this to go ahead. I mean, from when it started till now, we've experienced growth, not only in numbers, but in value. I'm so thankful to God for that. And if you if you've been getting value from this platform, feel free to share with other people. All right. Um, don't keep to yourself what is blessing you. It's super important that you involve other people in it as well. Okay, so um, let's go ahead. Remember, like I said, we're going to celebrate those who participated in the challenge and were able to win. Um, we'll be doing that really shortly. But today we're talking about understanding the law. And I want to just say this at the onset. You know, if this uh, title dreaded to you, if you dread this title, if you're just like, what is this going to be about? Let me tell you something. That is how much you need this teaching. So to the degree of your dread for the teaching on the law is your need for to understand it. And, and the reason is because a lot of people have huge gross misunderstandings of what the law is about, of what the Old Testament is. How many of us have been in those situations where, can you just confirm that you can hear me well? It's important that I'm clear. Yeah. Okay. Yay. All right, awesome. All right, awesome. And to those who are joining us right now, welcome, welcome. Have you ever been in a situation where someone comes to you and just challenges you on something that is clearly in the Bible, but that seems to be out of place? For example, someone comes to you and says, are you a Christian? Yes. Um, so you believe the Bible? Yes, I do. Okay. So why do you guys eat shellfish? Why do you guys, you know, wear clothing with mixed materials? Why do you guys, you know, and then there's a whole list, you know, people even take it further and say things like, you know, you know, why are you wearing as, as a lady, you know, and, and some of these things, the, the debate out there in the church right now is, is unnecessary right, interpretation of scripture. And like I always would quote here, um, and let me stop sharing my screen right now and give all right, there we go. You know, one of the main things you need to realize, one of the main things you need to realize is that the word of God needs to be rightly divided, rightly divided. So who can tell me that scripture that talks about how we ought to handle God's word? In the chat, anyone? You can unmute yourself too. The scripture that talks about rightly dividing God's word, rightly handling the word of God. Okay, while I will just say it because I'm waiting. Um, it is 2 Timothy 2.15 where it says, we should be diligent to show ourselves approved unto God, workmen that do not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And I explained to you that rightly dividing means accurately delineating, separating what some things are from other things. You don't carry the Bible and mix everything up and just come up with your own ideas. You don't take a verse 
without looking at its context. I've said this a lot and a lot of times. And that's why this teaching is especially in Hermeneutics Sunday. I'm going to be saying a whole lot of stuff. So pay attention, take notes. Um, if you have any question at any point, just stop me, all right? But my goal, let me just share my goal in this teaching. And by the way, there's going to be a part two because there's so much to talk about in this teaching. But my goal in this series is number one, to understand the law from a Jewish perspective. All right, to understand the law from a Jewish perspective. You need to realize that the law, the, what, we, what we call the law or the books of the law in the Bible are not new books. They are as old as the days of Moses. All right, so it means that they were written to a particular people a particular time with a particular purpose. So understanding that is so crucial. So we need to understand the law from their perspective. Number two is I want to be able to show you the goodness of the law. You know, a lot of people think that the law is, is, is a bad thing. And maybe some of you have that mindset right now that, oh, the law was just so, so, so evil and so bad. That's why we had to be delivered from it. And we'll find out very soon that that's not true if our romans 7 12 tells us the law is good it's holy it's righteous so um that's that's another point and also just to show you god's purpose of the law then and today meaning that it had a purpose in the old when it was when we have of the law and today so today there is a whole lot that we have all right. It says my internet is unstable. Okay. Okay. Let's go on. I don't know what's happening with the internet over here. It's crazy. Okay. Let's go on. And then I want to also show you, but that'll be next week, um, next month, most likely, where we'll talk about the impact that Jesus had on the application of the law. All right. And how that should be applied today. So my job today is very focused on, let's see what the law is about. All right, understanding the law. A lot of people would say, oh, we're not under the law, but that's all they know. <laughs> that's all they know about the law. If I were to ask you right now, you know, how many of you know the Ten Commandments and can recite the Ten Commandments from number one to ten? Let me see your hands if you can do that. I mean, you guys don't have your videos on, so there's no way I can even know. But um well very likely most people can't and that's that's interesting it's in the bible <laughs> but you know a lot of people all they know about the law is we're not under the law and that's a bad thing a christian should be able to understand the purpose of the law what the law signifies why it was given all of so that's my job so like i said at the beginning this might be the most boring teaching you've ever heard out of my mouth and i hope it's not going to be so boring because um I'm spitting out a lot of facts that you need to hear. And oh my God, it will bless you. A lot of these things will just free you. You will be able to see a verse and say, oh, okay. Now I understand what this means. And I know whether to apply it to myself today or maybe not to apply it because it doesn't apply to me. So that's what this teaching is meant to be about. Uh, let's start. So what, what is the law? What is the law? All right, like I said, the title of this, is understanding the law. What is the law? 
But I think a better way to explain or define the law is to understand what the law is not, right? So if I'm going to explain anything really well, you want to know what it's not. For example, if I say, what is faith? It's easier to teach you what faith is by telling you what faith is not, right? For example, if I say faith is not trying to get God to do something, all right? Or faith is not... Um, badgering God so you know that that's not what faith is do you understand so now you can now open your mind to figure out what faith is from the scriptures so I'm teaching um, the opposite of what the law is by telling you what it's not so you understand so the first thing you need to understand is that the old testament law and when I say the old testament law here I'm talking about the law of Moses it's was not the introduction of morals to man. A lot of people think that the law was like God really just showing what the moral law was. But that's, that doesn't seem to be true because we have Abraham. Abraham followed God's law and there was no law written. Abraham lived a perfect life. God would not have said he lived a righteous life or you know, there was none right, found righteous but Lot. Or, you know, situations like Noah called a perfect man. Or, you know, those terms, what was the, bar, what was the, um, what was it used? What was it tested? What was that goodness tested by? So even if there was no moral law given, there was a sense of morality in every man. And guess where that came from the fall? Like, you know, when Adam ate the fruit, what was, what was the result? The Bible says, you know, if you eat of, yeah, their eyes will be, your eyes will be open. You will know the knowledge, have knowledge of good and evil. So that is where is a knowledge of what is right and what is wrong really came. So it did not require the law for anyone to know what was right or what was wrong. All right. So that already tells us that if this is not the introduction of the moral law, then something else is going on with the giving of the law. Think about it. The Old Testament law talks about sacrifices, right? We'll look into that. But guess what happened with Cain and Abel? They also offered sacrifices. So they know. How did they know? So there must have been some kind of communication from God's part to them. His will was, you know, his statutes, his laws, his principles. That's the only way... Um, Abraham and all the Old Testament patriarchs would have known about God's standards. So the law, like I said, the Old Testament law was not the introduction of morality. It was not the introduction of morals to man. You see, this word, the law, 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 it's used different ways. So I want to streamline what we're talking about today to a particular topic so the word law can be used in many ways. Number one, it could be referring to like a little portion of the law of Moses. For example, if you look at some of the laws of Moses, you see things like the law of burnt offerings, you know. So that's a small segment of the entire law. You could see it used that way. It could also refer to like someone in, in, in nation's law. For example, in the scriptures, you see things like the law of the Medes and Persians. So that can be another way to use the word law. And commonly, most of us know how the word law is used from a scientific perspective or a principles perspective. So 
someone, you know, can define law as something that happens with order and the system. So the law of gravity or in a biblical sense, let me show you a verse, just we haven't opened the Bible yet because this is still a preamble, but let's look at Romans chapter seven from verse 18. Romans 7, 18. Um, I don't know if Olade is able to share her screen yet. Okay, she is awesome. Okay, so look at the screen. Um, Romans 7, 18. It says, for I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform it, how to perform what is good, I do not find. The next verse, it says, for the good that I will to do, I do not do, but the evil I will not do, that I practice. Next verse, it says, now if I do what I will not do, well, um, if this is one of the most confusing parts of the Bible, by the way. Now, if I do what I will not to, what I will not to do, what I don't really want to do, he says, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So he's saying that I'm not the one doing this thing, or there is something else doing it. So look at what he says in the last verse, now verse 21. He says, I have discovered this principle of life. And in the, in the KJV, which is what I'm really um, going to point out here. For most of this, I want to use the KJV or NKJV. Look, I said, I find then a law that evil. So when he says law in this, in this case, he's talking about principle. How many of you remember what I've said about taking a word um, in its context? I've said this a lot. It's, it will save you. So when you see a word in a verse, you need to know what it means there, its implications in that particular text. Here, the word law is not referring to the law of Moses. It's talking, in this verse, it's talking about a law or a principle. So Paul is saying, there's a principle at work in me that when I want to do what is right, it seems like there's evil present with me. So it's, de it's defining the principle of the flesh. Who's getting what I'm saying? So that's what he's using the word here to mean. Um, there's also um, uh, just the law, a principle. For example, Job 28, 26. Job, Job chapter 28 from verse 26. And this is just like a, a another example. He says, when he made a law for the rain and a path for the thunderbolt, notice, law for the rain. He's not talking about the law of Moses. So you can see how the word law can be used in different places. So when um, David says, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation day and night. You have to ask yourself, what law is he referring to? And I want you to try to answer that question. We'll come back to it, but think about it. When, when, when David says, how I love your law, it is my um, meditation day and night. Or this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. What law was referred to? So have that, that's a question to ask. But so you understand this so far, right? It could be used to refer to a principle. Here he's saying when he made a law for the rain, obviously we have the law of weather, like rain, when rain falls, you know, precipitation, 
evaporation, condensation, all this stuff, even though they didn't have the science then to analyze each part, they knew that there was a law and a principle that if rain will fall and rain will come to an end and all of that stuff. So the, the law of weather is being referred to here. Also, look at this. Even before the law came, the law of Moses came. Look at Genesis chapter 26, verse 5. Like I said, today is we're, we're doing serious Bible study. So it might seem a little bit boring, but please pay attention. You need this as much as you need every other teaching in God's word. It says, because Abraham obeyed my voice. Who came first, Moses or Abraham? Abraham, right? When was the law given? With Moses. But why is Abraham, why is Genesis saying this? It says, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So it definitely tells you that there was something that Abraham kept. Something that existed before the Ten Commandments. Who is following what I'm saying? So God spoke his law. This is just anything that comes out from the mouth of God is law. <laughs> anything. Because God is the creator of the universe. So if God says this is how things must be, it is law. It is put into law. That's God's constitution for the world. All right. But you can see how this precedes the law of Moses. I'm breaking this down because it will help you answer a lot of questions that you, you come across. So this is hundreds of years before the law and God declares it. As, you know, and Abraham followed it and followed God's voice. So you see voice, charge, commandment, statutes, laws. They are almost the same, one and the same. So, um, the point I'm trying to make here is that the word law can be used in many ways. In fact, let me give you some more. I also see the word law in the, as used as man's sense of morality. Romans chapter 2 from verse 14, for example. Let me show you that one. I'll have just one, gone through real quick, but Romans 2, 14. For when the Gentiles who do not have the law, in this case, they do not have the law. Which law is he talking about? They don't have the law of Moses. They're Gentiles. By nature, they do the things in the law, which is still referring to the law of Moses. These, also not having the law, not having the law of Moses, it says they are a law unto themselves. Now, the word law has changed here. So you need to be able to pick it. He's not talking about they are a thank, uh, Moses law to themselves. No, he's just saying that they have an, in, there's a sense, there's a sense of morality that they have, even though they don't have the law of Moses, yet there is a law, there is a principle, there is a morality that they have or a sense of right and wrong. Please, at any point, if you are not following, if you have any question, you should be disturbing me right now on the chat. Let me see. I haven't checked in a while. Okay, the commandments. Okay, good. You guys are giving feedback. So basically, yes, just like Chijoke said, there is a sense of morality in every man. Every man has something that, okay, what's that? My dear Lord, Ecclesiastes chapter. It's been a long time I saw this verse. Um, where he says he has 
um, he has put the eternal question on their heart. Does anybody know that verse? Ecclesiastes 4.11, maybe. Let's check it out. And this is not on the script, but 3.11, right? Thank you. You guys are on point. So it's 3.11. I, I, I lost it. There are some translations that will make it clear what this is. It says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. And he has also put eternity in their hearts. Except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. That word eternity has many meanings. You know, the message would say the eternal question. Um, I think NLT, let's see some other translations. But the idea is that Solomon is saying, hey, there is something in man that tells him about, oh, there is an end. There is something, you know, most, most translations will use eternity, eternity. But just talking about, hey, there's more, there's purpose. There's, look at this. Thank you, Amplified. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also planted eternity in men's hearts and minds. He says, an in, an, a divinely implanted sense of a purpose working through the ages, which nothing under the sun but God alone can satisfy. I love, I love Amplified. Because every man has a sense of morality just because they are man. Do you understand? If, if you were created by a moral God, a God who started the concept of morality, his creation, especially man made in his image, must also have a sense of morality. So this is very important. And this answers the questions to atheists. You know, if you're going to give a defense for uh, the gospel or for, for first of all, don't even go far, the existence of God, the fact that there is creation means there's a creator. That's a cosmological argument then the fact that a man, a person has purpose or a sense of purpose is the tele teleological argument, which points to a creator. If anything has a purpose in its design, then there must be an intelligent designer. But then there's another one, and that's the argument of morality. Why do we discuss what is right or wrong? We have a sense of objective morality because there is an objective moral law giver. That's just very, very important to understand. So like TJK is saying, atheists that see raping, kidnapping, killing as bad things, they don't have any foundation to defend it. They can't say, oh, God said, because they are trying to suppress the knowledge of God. So how are they going to prove their point? Why is raping bad? Why is killing a person bad? They say, oh, it's not good. It doesn't help with the progression of human, the human race. Oh. Is that your reasoning? What is not, what, what, why should the human race progress if there's no meaning to life? So it just is a cyclical argument, but I don't, that's not our conversation for today, but it's good. I think this is helpful. A lot of people you would meet might have, you know, questions about the existence of God. Even sometimes you as a believer might get to a phase where, you know, you're just doubting a lot of things. Things are not happening in your life and you may be tempted to think, oh, there is no God. Maybe there's really no God out there. And sometimes you need to go back to these foundations. Creation means creator. And, and that's a good starting point for your mind. Praise God. And not just a creator, but a creator that chose to dwell with man, take on a human body, live with us, and even go through the ultimate suffering of death for us. That is just another level of, of this, the display, display of love. All right. But yeah, like we're saying, God has put the law in the hearts of man. There's also royal law, you know, James chapter two from verse eight, you see 
the term royal law used there, you know, um, so it says, if indeed you really fulfill the royal law in accordance to the scripture, and what's the royal law? It's a part of the Ten Commandments. So this is another place um, where just a segment of the law is taken out and is used and is called the law, right? Or the law of liberty, which we'll talk about next time we have uh, the final teaching on the understanding of the law, which is James chapter one from verse 25. You know, whosoever looketh at the perfect law of liberty, something like that. Um, yeah, he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer. So he calls something the law of liberty. We're going to look at that, you know. Romans talks about the law of spirit of life in Christ Jesus. You know, there's the law of sin. So, I mean, there's so much. So when you see the word law, the first thing you should ask is what law are we talking about? And can I get the meaning of that from the context? All right, so that was a preamble to let you know that the words, the word law can be used in many ways. But for the sake of this teaching, we're, we're restricting our definition of the law to the Old Testament law given to Moses. Why are we doing this? Because that's where a lot of questions are. So I'm going to do a teaching that gives you an overview of what the law of Moses is, what it required, what it looked like. Some of us have not really looked into this really well. And maybe by the time we're done with this, a lot of questions you have about the law will be answered. So stick with me, please. Stay patiently. There's so much here, so much. So let me define the law of Moses and then I'll go ahead and talk about it. So um, can I get feedback? For, if you're following so far, let me just see in the chat. Following, yes. Let me just know that um, my boring, I, see, I <laughs> spent a lot of hours going through a lot of things for this uh, resources. So I know that even communicating it to you in itself might be boring because it took arduous, boring work. But yeah, thanks for the feedback. All right. So listen to this. Don't forget this. This is super important. The law of Moses, or it can be called the Mosaic law, which is just changing Moses's name to a, an adjective. The Mosaic law was specifically the law given by Moses to the people of Israel when they left Egypt. I'm going to say it again. The Mosaic law was the law that was specifically given to Moses or given by Moses to the people of Israel when they left Egypt. So think about it this way. The people of Israel, this is a little history lesson. The people of Israel were in bondage for many years. Where were they in bondage? Who remembers the Bible history? The children of Israel were scattered around and all, at the time in history, they are taking as slaves to Egypt, right? And they're there. <laughs> they're there and they are um, good. You guys are saying Egypt, yes. They're there and what are they doing? They're suffering. They're going through a lot. You know, they are working as slaves under the hands of some of these people. And this happened after Joseph, who was an Israelite, right? 
um, brought them, like, did a lot of wonderful things for them. He became the prime minister, but guess what? He died. And after many years, there, there was a fear that did not regard just, didn't just regard him. So what did we hear? You know, killing of, random killings of, of firstborn of, of, of the, the, the sons of these Hebrew people because they were growing and multiplying. Um, so now they are punished. A lot of them, even though they are being punished, they are still strong. A lot of them have, you know, hope. They are crying to God. They are mourning. They are tired of the suffering and the slavery they are going through. And then God just, you know, calls Moses. And in, 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 you know, remember the story, right? The burning bush. I'm trying to skip a whole lot. But he has this encounter in the burning bush. God tells him, I've seen the cries of my people. Guess what? I'm going to deliver them. And I need you to be the one to go do that. And he you know, shows him a lot of signs and miracles and says, hey, you'll be a God unto Pharaoh. You will tell him to let the people go and he will let them go. But he will have a hard heart because he's already, you can see all the evil he's doing. He was already, that was where he was decided to go already. But I'm going to harden his heart to prove to him that because Pharaoh has the meaning God, I'm going to show that I am the true God and he's not really the God of these people. And so God shows his strength through those miracles. The, the magicians are able to replicate some of them and that's intentional. That's part of God's way of hardening Pharaoh's heart even more, you know, to show him, hey, no one should be proud and exalt himself over the God of the universe. Right, and it goes on and on and on. And we know the story. Somehow these people are taken out of Egypt by God's mighty hand, you know. In fact, there is a summary of this whole story in Psalm, uh, is it Psalm 37 or Psalm 47? I need to go back and confirm that. But there's a story in the Psalms talking about the story of how Israel was delivered from Egypt. You should go check it out. Someone can help us with that in the chat. Uh, the, the story of uh, Israelites delivered deliverance from Egypt in the Psalms. Um, but yeah, what happens? They go out and guess what? There were many, uh, but we're not talking thousands. We're not talking hundreds of thousands. We're talking of almost millions. I mean, there would eventually be millions, but at the very beginning, the people that um, Egypt are as little as 70. Can you guys still see me? There's little as 70, and their numbers begin to grow and grow and grow. But here's the picture. Okay, let me turn this. You know, they begin to grow and grow and grow. They're no longer 70. This is slavery. There are now so many. Remember, when I, I'm talking about during the time of uh, Joseph and his just the very first people, the very first um, family of the 12 tribes of Israel, from seven. So, Chijoke, if you can look for the one in the book of Psalms that talks about the, 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 um, how God delivered the people of Israel with his mighty hand and stuff like that. Thank you. But from 70, they become millions coming out of slavery. And so think about it. What do you do with like hundreds of thousands and thousands of coming out of Egypt and basically God wants to form a nation with them? What do you think God will do? And we're talking about 4th of July today. You know, in the US, this is independence. We're celebrating independence of America. And in Nigeria, it will be the independence of Nigeria on October 1st. 
you know, it's a celebration because you are coming out from some level of bondage. That is exactly what's happening. But guess what happened when Nigeria gained independence? Historians will tell you they had to have a constitution. Maybe it was not the most immediate thing that came about, but they had a constitution. What is a constitution? A set of laws to live by, right? That's a constitution. And so that's how you should think about the law of Moses. These people left bondage. They came out of bondage by God's mighty hand. Now there are many, many, many people going to a land that God will give to them, but they have to live in a certain way because they are now going to be a nation. And God, the Bible says God chose Israel, not because they were great, but because they were small. God wanted to show his power. So he chose a small nation, Israel. That's very important to understand. And I, I, I think that's comforting. Thank you. So TJ, Psalm 114. I think that that should also have it, but it's my fault. I should have done some research on this before I mentioned it here. But yeah, um, so after three months of coming out of Egypt, exactly, see the screen, I'm just looking now. When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, verse two, let me just see. Judah became a sanctuary, Israel's dominion. Yeah, this is the chapter, keep going, this is it. You know, the sea saw it and fled, Jordan turned back. He's just talking about the victories of Israel, you know, mountains keep like rams in a poetic fashion, how God delivered these people. So thanks for putting that up. So it's, yeah, it's 114. But so the whole idea here, pay attention to this is, Moses takes these people out of Egypt, three months after he gives them the law to live by as their own nation. So the law of Moses is God's law to his chosen people for that time. Do you understand? It's a constitution. You don't follow the laws of Nigeria in the US. <laughs> Who's getting me? I can't just say, oh, okay, um, I am a Nigerian. So as long as I'm here in the US, I'm going to follow the law of Nigeria. Omar, I don't know, <laughs> you're on your own. So the whole idea here is God has to give them laws to live by. And why, why do you have laws in any nation? To control crime, right? To ensure that people live in harmony. Because if there is no law and you allow the, the selfish, um, unrestrained human to get what he wants and do what he wants, you're going to have a disaster as a so there has to be a law. There has to be standards. That's what the law of Moses was. So like I said, it's like, it's very similar to gaining independence. <laughs> you see jaywalking everywhere. It's very similar to gaining independence, you know, making your own constitution as a nation. But here, because these are God's special people, they have to have God's special law. And guess what? Just understanding what I've said so far has made you a, like, several miles ahead of the average Christian. And I'm serious. This knowledge alone that I just shared with you is so powerful. It will help you answer a lot of questions. When you are posed with you know, laws in the old covenant, in the law of Moses, Leviticus, you read the Levitical laws there. In Deuteronomy, you read the laws there. In parts of Exodus, you see some of the laws also listed. 
And someone now raises an objection in those laws and says, hey, yeah, Christian, why are you not doing this? And your, your response should be, why should I obey the constitution of another nation? That was Israel. I mean this literally, and, but we're still going to bring a balance because there are certain things that make this different. This is not just the law of any land. This is God's law to people and it shows God's wisdom. So we're going to see how to correctly use the law. And that's what Paul did in the New Testament extensively. So you see him referring to the law of Moses. He was a Jew, but was dealing with Gentiles. But he had a way of referring to it and using it. And you see the wisdom in how he did that. You don't just carry anything. You don't see Paul saying, now because you are believers, you shouldn't wear clothes that have polyester and cotton mixed together. Because that is not the law that you should live by. That was the law of Israel for that time. And you see the wisdom of God. Let me rush through this, all right? Uh, if you're following so far, let me know. There's still a lot to cover, but let's see. So how did this start? Let's look at how it really started. Um, take us to Exodus chapter 19, all right? So Exodus chapter 19. Those of you in Mixilar, I hope you're still able to pay attention. And uh, I want to say welcome. I haven't said welcome to you guys. So look at this. We're going to read a bunch of verses, and I'll just give you a commentary on it. So it says in Exodus 19.1, in the third month after the children of Israel had gone of the land of Egypt, on the same day, they came to the wilderness of Sinai. All right. So they came to a sparse land called Sinai. For they departed from Rephidim and had come to the wilderness of Sinai and camped in the wilderness. So Israel camped there before the mountain. Very then Moses went up to God. So yeah, there's a crowd of people with Moses. They've come out of this place. Okay, now what? The sea has covered all the Egyptians. You know, nobody can cross anymore. We're now in the new land. What do we do? Moses goes up to God and says, ah, the, you know, what do we do basically? And the Lord called him from the mountain and said, thus you should to the house of Jacob. Hello, house of what? Is it the house of Eziani? or the house of Ulebaja. No, it is the house of And tell the children of Israel. What did he say you should tell them? Verse four. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. He says, now, therefore, if you will indeed, look at the key word, if. So God is trying to make a contract to these people. He says, if you will indeed obey my voice, and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people, for the earth is mine, if and then. So it's a conditional thing. God is saying, listen, I brought you out. If you will, you know, obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you will be special to me. That is so important. If and then. So if you're going to be God's special people, you have to obey God's special law. That's what I was telling them. All right. So go on. Will the Israelites say yes? We'll see. He says, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And this is something that here, you know, this is not even in the teaching, but this is why we celebrate as believers. Do you realize that to them in the Old Testament, under the law, people who are just come out from bondage, 
God says, if you do this, then I will do this. If you follow me and obey my statutes, then you will become a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But look at First Peter. We'll come back to Exodus 19.6. So keep a tab on this verse. But go to First Peter 2.9. It's a powerful verse that you quote every time. But do you see the similarity here? Kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Same thing in First Peter 2.9. But there's no if here. This is what you get as a believer. It says you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, which is a kingdom of priests. That's another way to put that. Royal priesthood, royal kinghood or kingship, priesthood, priest, kingdom of priests, and a holy nation, God's special people. So in, in Christ, it is what we get without an if-then statement. But in the Old Testament, Hallelujah. They had to keep certain laws to, to, to attain that. So let's go back and, and learn more about the law. Exodus 19, from verse 7, I think that's where we were, verse 6. Exodus 19, 6. And so God wanted to just show that they were a special people to him. So he gave them conditions. So he says, these are the words you shall speak to the children of Israel. And then look at verse seven, their response. So Moses came <laughs> and called for the others of the people and laid the words of God to them. Like, ah, this is what God told me. What will you guys do in response? So then all the people answered and said, all that spoken, we will. <laughs> this is where the law started. Because now they are saying, you will give me the law. We'll obey it. Just give us the law. All that God has said, we'll do. And so Moses brought back the words of the Lord to the uh, of the people to the Lord. Like God, they said they would do it. So things to note. Things to note so far. It was only for Israel. All right. Gentiles were never to. They were never expected to obey the law of Moses. The Jews were simply to obey the law of Moses. The Gentiles were never given the law of Moses. In fact, at this time, only the people at the mountain knew about this. You get me? This is so important. And it's not like Sharia law, you know, like, and I want to talk about it. You know, if you know anything about Sharia law, like one of the things you know is that um, they, they enforce, they want, it's part of the, um, the doctrines of Islam you know, from the Hadith, Sharia law needs to be spread. Muhammad himself spread um, Sharia law and made sure that, like, that was the goal. Everyone needs to obey Sharia law. It's not like Sharia law. The law of Moses was not spread around the world for everyone to obey. In fact, Gentiles were supposed to be separate from that because they were not God's chosen people. All right. That is very, very important to understand. So this is not like Sharia law that... Islam teaches, you know, spread it around the world, let everyone be under the, the um, oversight of the Sharia law. All right. So, like I said, God chose Israel. And why did he choose them? I told you, because they were small and insignificant, and he just wanted to use them to show his power to the world. That if a people could follow his laws, the law he gave to them, this is how special they would be. All right. So the next thing I want to do with us right now, and let me just look at the chat. Abi, <laughs> freedom was too shocking them. They are, ah, we are just, we are free. We are free. We have our independence now. So anything you tell us to do, God will do, you know. But let's look at um, the law. Let's break it down. Actually, look at what was the content of this law. 
Um, and so I'm going to do some of some somewhat of a loose division. All right. So there's it's not there's no real way to divide the law, but I think it's good to like kind of loosely divide them into categories just for the sake of understanding. Um, so I'm going to divide them into three, three groups. And these three groups will help you, you know. Um, so TJK said, so it wasn't a gospel kind of thing. It was like a country's rules and regulations. Exactly. In fact, at the, they would have, if I know that they, they had the books of the law. <laughs> you get just the same way we have constitution, 1999 constitution of Nigeria or declaration of independence and all the other things that come with American independence. That's kind of like what they had. So the first um, handwritten document were the Ten Commandments. Let's, that's what God said. Let's start with that. These are the ten. Then there were more that came after. So I want to divide it into that. And you guys, this will help you and bless you. And I hope it will aid your Bible study. Because when you're reading the Bible and you're looking at those laws and you're like, what am I reading? You can mentally say, oh, okay, I know what I'm reading. You know, the same way, see, don't feel like you are not spiritual. Let me tell you this. A lot of people feel like they're not spiritual because they start Genesis or more. I'm reading the whole Bible. They start Genesis, Ginger, they get to Exodus. Okay, still nice story. You know, Moses delivering them. Then you get to Leviticus and Bible study are finished. <laughs> you have already lost every desire. And I'm wondering why. It's not because you are not spiritual. How many of you have taken the constitution? You're not a law student. But you take the constitution of Nigeria and you read it. How do you feel when you read it? It's boring. It is a law, it is a rules and regulations book. So you expect it to be that way. You know, so it's so important to have that um, sense of what this is. But then it doesn't mean, and this is where I'm trying to make the, the um, clear distinction, it doesn't mean that the law is useless or irrelevant. Instead, the law shows us something about the nature of God, which is very beautiful. All right, so let's go on. So what are the divisions of the law? Number one, we have the moral law, the moral law, all right, which talks about good and evil, basically, majorly, or what God wants you to do in your relation to him and to other people. That's the moral law. All right, then secondly, there's the civil law. All right, civil law. And number three, the ceremonial law. We have a lot to cover. So I'm going to rush through this like I've never rushed through anything before. The moral law, the civil law, and the ceremonial law. All right. Okay, so where's the moral law? That you can find it cheaply in Exodus chapter 20. So let's look at it real quick. We're going to look at the law, the moral law that came in tablets of stones. Remember, this was Exodus 19. Now we're in Exodus 20. This is when they got the first handwritten law from God. So look at what it starts with. The law starts with, you shall have no other God before me. What does that mean? So that is the declaration of monotheism. If you've not heard the word monotheism before, that's, that is it, one God. Don't, don't have any other God except the God of heaven, the invisible God, all right? That was very, very important. God created everything and he's the uncreated creator. The next law is you shall not make for yourselves a carved image, 
any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Look at verse five. It says, you shall not bow down to them nor serve them. So this is still one law. Don't create anything and bow down to it. So it's not two separate laws. It's not saying you cannot create anything. The law is you cannot create any object of worship and bow down to it and serve it. It says, for I, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the, the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. This is a powerful verse we'll look at because it still also shows the love of God in some way, you know. So, <laughs> exactly. So, in fact, the, this law was already, they already broke the law. You know, they had already made something to worship. And that just tells you the intrinsic part of a human. A human has that intrinsic desire to worship. It's just something there. So if you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping yourself, you're worshiping money, you're worshiping a celebrity, you know, or celebrities. You know, some people have taken certain groups of people to just be like God for them. And if you tell them, oh, this is almost like worship, they'll tell you, no, they're just, I'm just a fan. <laughs> But they've taken it to another level that God doesn't even get half of that excitement or that, you know, thrill. You know, I don't want to start mentioning names of, you know, like people that are venerated so highly over God. But you guys know and set your heart and make sure that there's no sense of idolatry in you. Um, you know, let me control myself. But like, what <laughs> it says, you know, showing, ah, I'm not saying anything. It's not me that said it though. Don't look at the chat though. I did not say anything. <laughs> okay. Um, but showing mercy or mercy. <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> showing mercy to thousands. <laughs> to those who, now please let me just say it because someone might be like, I'm extreme. You can honor someone. You can respect someone for their skill and excellence, okay? But there's a level it gets to that is like, okay, you're worshiping this person. So I, that's what I'll say. Or oh, this thing, like I'm so that's a food. You can like food, you can love food, but don't let food overthrow your desire for God. Like if you can't fast, you have a problem. You already know that food is your God. Your belly, the Bible says your God is your belly. <laughs> so, okay, let's go. We have a lot to, to, to talk about. Then the next one is what? By the way, I want to say something real quick about the last thing we just read. Don't make for yourself a carved image. Interestingly, the Lutheran um, creed, uh, list of the Ten Commandments, and the Roman Catholic list of the Ten Commandments, they both don't have this. They, they, they left this out. And it's very, very, very um, suspicious. So what they did is they took the Tenth Commandment and they split it into two. So thou shalt not covet, they split it into you know, don't convert your mother and don't convert your um, your neighbor. Um, sorry, don't convert your neighbor's wife. And you can go and verify this. So the Lutheran, just type it on Google and do some research. It's very disturbing. So um, I was wondering, why did they remove this particular one? And it seems like there's, there's a bias because most of Roman Catholicism involves some icons, they don't call them idols, they call them icons. And they don't even say worship, they say venerate. But it's that same sense of taking things, instead of worshiping the invisible God that you cannot see and be comfortable with not seeing God, they instead they want to have physical images that they will bow to or maybe do some 
particular sacraments to, you know, and that is where, you know, it just shows you God doesn't want anything that can put him a second place. God is very jealous in a, in a holy way because he's God, he's the creator. You don't want anyone, just like how as a girl, you have a boyfriend and you don't want any other girl to come and steal your handsome, fresh boyfriend. So you know how jealous you are and how you just like, hey, who's that girl? Who's that? God is like that, but in a healthy, holy way because he's the only one deserving of that, you know, uh, respect and honor. So let's go to the next one. All right. So remember, like I said, idols are used to substitute a lack of relationship with God. That's really what idols are. They just substitute your lack of relationship with God. The next one is you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This is big. And this is just talking about taking God's name and using it for something that is not um, worthy. You know, playing with his name. Anyhow, don't misuse the name of the Lord. You know, and I think sometimes this extends to how we speak. You know, I'm not a, a proponent of the people that always say, hey, don't say, you know, you know, instead of saying, oh my God, don't say OMG. I think it's beyond that. That's not, it's not, I mean, be, be thoughtful when you do mention the name of God. All right. But look at this. No using the name of God, your God in silly or curse, in curses or silly banter. So anything that you see that reduces the reverence of his name, avoid it. That's just the point. So it's in different forms and fashions. Um, and that would also be considered as blasphemy as well. Then the next law, it says, remember the Sabbath, you know, basically keep it holy. Don't make, don't work. Don't make anyone work. Remember, I was still speaking in, in the context of the Jews. So, I mean, some of these things, they apply to us in a secondary sense because they are speaking about God's nature. But remember, it is the first message given to the Jews. This is who God is. This is how he should be worshiped and seen. All right, if you have questions, throw them in the chat, please. Um, the next one is honor. Thank you for that. So that's the law of the Sabbath. To summarize, don't work and don't make anyone else work. You know, we don't really observe the Sabbath today. People that say they are observing the Sabbath today even if they are not working, they are making other people work. You know, people in restaurants, they are working. Even when you go to church, you say you're on Sabbath day, your pastor is working. So they are not really, you're not really obeying this in the full sense of what it meant in that time. All right. So um, let's go on. Then it says, honor your father and your mother so that, that your days will be long upon the land, which is the Lord, which the Lord your God is giving you. So honor your parents. And this means respect them, treat them highly. All right. Next one is do not murder. You know, and this is different from killing. Um, murder is intentional. There's intent to harm, premeditated intent to harm. So this is not killing because if you look at the law, in fact, God said, if anyone did something, it should be stoned. That's killing. So <laughs> it's talking about murder here. Uh, do not commit adultery. And specifically, adultery here is talking about taking another man's wife. Um, and we'll talk more about it. Then do not steal. With another law, thou shall not steal. Then thou shall not bear false witness. And a lot of people will tell you um, the law actually, one of the Ten Commandments is do not lie. Actually, it's not do not lie. It is do not bear false witness. Um, 
do not bear false witness, meaning don't lie about others to their harm. That's really uh, false witness. Don't say something that is not true that could lead to someone's, um, but it doesn't mean you should not, you should lie. It doesn't mean you should lie. It's, I'm just telling you what this law was. And then the next one is don't, don't covet your neighbor's, you know, your wife, your neighbor's wife, uh, their property or anything like that. So that was those were the ten commandments. And if you already noticed, the first five are speaking about man's relationship to God or the Jews' relationship to God directly. The other five were referring to relationship with other Israelites. All right. So to a Jew, these laws were very important. And if you failed at keeping them, you got the death sentence. If you if it was proven, you know they had the same system that most of us have today, the court system you know, eyewitnesses system. They, they would have all those things. They look into those things. Did you commit this crime? Is there, are there two or three witnesses to establish what was said? You know that verse, in the mouth of two or three witnesses, everything is established. <laughs> that is the context, but let's leave that for another day. Um, you know, and so it's important. The Jews had to keep them, but think about it. Before you start thinking, oh, this law is so demanding and so, so stressful. Imagine if they kept it. Imagine if they kept every single thing. Do you, do you think they would not be the best and biggest nation in the world? Like you're not stealing, no one is stealing. You can be sure of your property. No one is coveting, no one is committing adultery. No one is killing anyone. Man, such an amazing society would be. So the law is good. But the problem is when the law mixes with sinful humans, Romans 7 tells us what happens. Sin is revived. <laughs> you know but yeah, let's go on so like i said these moral grounds these moral laws are grounded on god's integrity if you notice god kept saying and lord your god <coughs> with every command he gave i'm the lord your god like that was the premise for every command that god gave so the only reason that you know that we have for objective morality is the existence of god all right any questions so far um tjk says fornication versus adultery so fornication, the Greek word for fornication is pornea. It actually means sexual immorality. So there are different forms. So as a lot of people have said, fornication is sex before marriage. So people have said adultery is sex after marriage. It's not really like that. That's not actually the biblical um, definition. That's another thing that has gone so far that has made people find excuses for sin. Um, fornication really is a bigger term for every form of sexual immorality involving also adultery. Adultery is a part of fornication. So anything that perverts God's original design for sex and sexual intimacy is fornication. Hope that answers the question. Any other question before we move to civil law? Ah, time is going. Civil law, civil law, civil law. So I wanted to add something real quick. Um, yeah, that's the verse. So Abisola, because we might not have so much time, just get ready at the end to announce the winners. So once it's time, just get ready to just, you know, announce the winners and we'll get back to them with the prices. Thank you. All right, so the civil law, this one is going to be beautiful. So um, this is Exodus 20. Let's move to Exodus 21 and start looking at some of the examples. So the civil law, start from verse 12. I want to just show you a few things, you know, but the civil law was basically just to, um, handle how to live in a society. Now they're in a nation. How should they live? 
civil laws would be like what we have today, like, hey, drive on the right side of the road, you know, road signs, um, different things that have to do with people relations, how the judge um, judiciary system works, all of those stuff, civil for a nation, that's the civil law. So we're looking at that now. So it was supposed to be obeyed for the safety of people and existence and for justice. You know, and like I said, it was specific to the Jews. So you see some of them, I wonder, like this doesn't even make sense. It was necessary, just the same way. The, it doesn't. Really, what's the what's the point of everybody driving on the right side of the road? What's the point? <laughs> it's so that everybody can do it and nobody dies. Do you get? So it might seem irrelevant, but when you when a country decides on, hey, this is how we will do it. When you go against it, that's when it's a problem. So look at some of these things. So let's talk about some of them real quick. We have a, we'll just speed through some of these civil laws. So look at this one, Exodus chapter 21 from verse 12. He who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. So the result of killing somebody. Now notice the word, when it says strike a man, there's a difference here between um, accidental killing and premeditated killing. So pay attention to this. You know, the judgment was based on eyewitness accounts. Judges will have to like make their decision. And the accuser is the one that does the stoning of that criminal. You know, because if you are the ones claiming that someone did something, at least you have some something in your heart if you are lying to, you will not want to pick stone. <laughs> so the way God really arranged everything is so wise. But you know, he says he who strikes a man so that he dies shall surely be put to death. So this is talking about you intentionally wanted to kill. Next verse. However, if he did not lie in wait, but God delivered him into his hand. You see, this is where King James is very annoying. Give me another translation because now it's making it look like, um, <laughs> making it like it's um, God that gives you, okay, kill this one. No. It just really means accidental. You know how, how um, um, you know, all these um, things that happen, hurricanes and all of that, they are, all, they are called acts of God in the law, in the constitution. So that's kind of like the principle. So don't take this as legit, as um, without having some kind of figurative sense. So it says, but if it is simply, or it was simply an accident permitted by God, Meaning you did not plan to kill this person. So I will appoint a day of a place of refuge where the slayer can run for safety. So go to asylum in a sense where they will not come and attack you. So God was too merciful to accidental killers. You know, next one, verse um, 14. But if a man acts with premeditation against his neighbor, like if you planned to kill, oh yeah, go and kill him. So the, the an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That was how it worked then. You kill someone with um, with intention, you are killed. That was the law in, in the land then. Who, he who strikes his father or mother shall surely be put to death. So, in fact, just, I don't know, I don't know how a child can hit his parent. I don't know, you have to be so depraved to physically hurt your parents. I don't know, but that's how bad it was. And, you know, in a culture where this is not controlled, evil abounds. If, par if parents can't have control over their children anymore, that society is gone. That's why America is in serious trouble right now. 
parents are getting advice from their children on how to raise them. So the child tells you, this is how I feel inside. The mom forgets everything about science and logic and says, ah, let's go and remove your penis and put surgery and change it because you feel like you're a girl. Doesn't make sense. But that's what culture can do. That is what, huh, let me leave that. We have just a short time. You see, he, he who strikes his father or mother shall be put to death. It was really bad to disrespect your own parent. Look at the next verse. That one talks about kidnapping. You know, if he who kidnaps a man and sells him, or if he is found in his hand, shall surely be put to death. So remember, all of this is happening by eyewitness accounts. You find the person, there's evidence that there was kidnap and all of that. And it's proven beyond reasonable doubt that was what happened. Or, and he who curses his father and mother shall be put to death. That's how much God values honoring parents. And, and this is a, this tells you God's heart because honoring your father and mother, guess what? It was repeated in the New Testament. It is a principle that God lives by. You need to honor your parents. They might not be saying or doing the right thing to you. But even if you are going to, you know, disregard some of their commandments for the sake of Christ, don't disregard them, not them. Show that you respect and love them. You know, you are in a place where you can give back to them financially. Do that. Let them be on your mind. Even though they've done things to hurt you, it doesn't matter. Your, only, your allegiance is to God. So honor them. Don't crush them. No matter how bad they've been or how they've deserted you or just treated you or been poor parents. That's not your business, right? So get healing. If, if, you're, if I'm talking to you right now, receive healing and do what is right. Verse 17, we've talked about that. Verse 18 talks about fighting. You know, if men contend with one another and one strikes the other with a stone or a fist and he does not die, but is confined to his bed, verse 19 tells you, you know, if he rises again and walks, then he who struck him shall be acquitted. Basically, if you fight someone, the person doesn't die. He just gets sick for a while and he's back. Well, you have, make sure you pay for his hospital bill. That's basically what this verse is saying. The loss of his time and make sure that he's completely healed. This was the Judaical system then, the law. Look at the next verse. You know, Let's go to verse 20, 20. Actually, let me talk about this one. If a man beats his male or female servant with a rod, so that he dies under his hand, he shall surely be punished. Look at verse 21. Notwithstanding, if he remains alive a day or two, he shall not be punished for his, his property. So, and a lot of people have used this against, you know, the Bible to talk about slavery and all of that. But you need to understand that slavery in those days was not like American slavery. Slavery then was will, willful slavery. You were owing a serious debt you couldn't pay. And the only way to you know, clear the debt was to actually work for that person. So in a sense, it was like an employee-employer relationship, but it was a little bit deeper than that because you had a debt to pay and your living and working for that person was you paying off that debt. So it was actually noble. It wasn't slave trade that you just get people to do things for the sake of it because of their color, the color of their skin. That was not what that looked like. Verse 22 you know, if men fight and they hurt a woman with a child so that she gives birth prematurely, yet no harm follows, he shall surely be punished accordingly as the woman's husband imposes on him and he shall pay as the judge determines. So basically this is if you, you're fighting and somehow you hit a woman that is pregnant and nothing happens to the child, she's able to deliver completely 
and all of that. Exactly, Jacob was slave to Laban for Re Rebecca, you know, so you can also work as a slave to get something in return. So thank you for that, putting that in the chat. But look at this, a pregnant woman is hurt, but the baby survives and is okay. Well, the husband will tell you how much you should pay, basically. So the, it's based on the husband. If the husband says, okay, the child is fine, you can go, no problem. But if, if you say, I want you to pay something, the judge will now determine what should be paid. You know, next verse. So there was a system that worked it, then, you know, and it prevented a lot of harm to the, un, un, um, to the unborn. But this one is the funniest one. It says, but if any harm follows, then you shall give his life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. In other words, if you hit that pregnant woman and the eye of the baby is defective and the born and you can see that the that take his eye out too. <laughs> if the tooth was broken they, so that's how it you must you, and i think they should give you an idea of how god views abortion think about that i mean it just shows you god's mind a lot of arguments out there about is the baby in the womb really sentient alive does he have guess what we were all once in the womb so we are actually living and if anyone has had an abortion this is not a judgment to you there is forgiveness in christ there is hope you know don't let it haunt you but hey the word of god is the word of god if god gave them this commandment though it was specifically for them it does reveal god's mind about life the value of life all right so if you're contemplating it don't do it there are options, there are options, I promise you. Trust God and you will see, you will see him step in. You know, I strongly feel like that's a word for somebody here or someone's friend. Don't go ahead with it. It may seem like the easy way now, but it's not. All right, verse uh, 26, you know, if you hurt your slave, they go free. If you strike the, the eye of your male servant and it is destroyed, they go free because of that. So even if they are owing $1 million in debt, if you hit them and they are harmed, they go free. <laughs> that was the law then, you know. Let's look at some real quick because of time, some that you must really just see. Um, so think about it. the civil laws, they were practical. So there's a particular verse that people come against the Bible for, and that's Exodus chapter 22 from verse 16, people think it's talking about rape and they've misused this text so much. It says, if a man entices a virgin, Exodus 22, 16, if a man is a virgin who is not betrothed, meaning they are not engaged to be married and he lies with her, he shall surely pay the bride price for her to be his wife. So, so people have used this to say, ah, if a man rapes a woman, then the woman is has to marry him. That's not what this is talking about. The word entice there means there's consensual agreement. You have lured, you've wooed this woman. She has agreed to have sex with you, even though you are not betrothed to be married and you sleep with her. Well, the, pri the, the price is you have to pay. You have to pay the bride price. But then it doesn't mean you are marrying her. Look at the next verse. The next verse, there's still a determining factor, and that's the father. It says, if her father utterly refuses to give her to him, then he shall, pray, he shall pay money according to the bride price of virgins. In that time, virgins were precious. So 
virgins would normally be seen as young ladies but in that time like virginity was so precious if if a woman had sexual intercourse outside of her marriage bed or outside of marriage it was really damaging for her because nobody would want to marry her it was very it was really serious then because it's like oh you are promiscuous so if someone you went ahead and did this well you lured this girl so you have to bear the consequences and that just shows you that there was more um, it's not like our culture today the burden of anything like that was placed on the man it's not like today where the shame and the blame is on the woman why did you what were you doing why did you go to his house why did you the, then the blame was on the man like why did you entice this girl you should be protecting her you know it's a beautiful mindset when you read the law you should be able to look for these things all right by the way, the verse that talks about rape, let me show you the consequences. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 25. And I'm, I'll round up here. We may not have time to talk about ceremonial laws, so I'll carry that over. Um, but look at this. If a man, but if a man finds a betrothed young woman in the countryside and the man forces her and lies with her, then only the man who lay with her shall die. So this is a woman, she's doing her own thing, but you force her, that's rape. The crime, the punishment is death. There's no, no pass go, no jail, it's death. Very important. Then look at the next um, verse. It said, but you shall do nothing to the young woman. There is in the young woman no sin deserving of death, but just as when a man rises against his neighbor and kills him, so is it in this matter. So the same way, that they get punished for killing a person. That's how God takes rape. You don't force a woman to do what she doesn't to do. That was God's mind. So people who may come to you and say, God, you know, endorsed rape, that, oh, if you are raped, just marry. And also, if you've had an encounter of rape, don't marry that person. Any mistake that happens, you know, should not be carried over on you. You don't have to bear the consequences of a mistake. Don't make a a temporary mistake, a permanent one is what I would say, you know, um, or like one of my mentors would say really aptly. All right. So we've talked about a lot of the laws. These are civil laws. And like I said, they all just give you a perspective on how to view um, God's mind, you know, though it was specifically for the Jews at that time, given the law of the Ten Commandments and 613 other laws, it was all about God's relationship with this small nation to reveal his power to the world. If they had kept it perfectly, there would be no need for any, you know, anything. Like they, they would have had a beautiful life together. They would have had, you know, such a blissful existence, you know. Another one that is still under the civil law that I think I should throw in here real quick before I round up is, you know, this text that is very popular, Suffer Not a Witch to Live, uh, Exodus twenty two eighteen. You know, if you see witches today, let them die by fire. And, you know, there are ministries that they are all targeting killing witches. The New Testament tells us to really love our enemies. So the human beings that are doing these things, we still ought to love them. Jesus healed people who were demon-possessed. He did not say, you have demons, so go and die. He healed them, you know. But this was a particular thing in their culture. If anyone was practicing sorcery, what does that look like? That's the breaking of the... Second commandment, don't have any other God before me. All right. So the law then was don't allow any sorceress or witch or wizard to live 
in this town. They can practice their sorcery outside, but they cannot do it when other people are there, the, the Jews, all right? Um, so like I said, most accusations against Christianity are based out of context. And I'm sure that from all the things I've taught you today, like at least there is, you, you have a perspective now, you understand better that the law was for a purpose for a specific people at a specific time for a reason. God was building a nation with these people. He had to give them how to live. And you know, the last one, the ceremonial laws, I won't go into detail today, but it just has to do with like those laws about clean and unclean. You know, don't eat um, food with blood. Don't touch this, all those things, you know women who had menstrual periods were deemed unclean. And there's a reason for that. I don't want to rush it so I can teach a lot more about this in the next Understanding the Law session, all right? But it involves sacrifices, feasts and celebrations and all of that. So next month, um, we're going to do a lot more teaching on this. We're going to look at how the law, what the law has to say to us today. Do we say the law is useless to us? How should we interpret the law in light of what Christ has done and all of that? All right, if this blessed you, let me see in the chat. Um, let me see in the chat. And yeah, um, um, Yinka says, I don't know how true, but I heard Israelites still obey most of the laws. In fact, they, they try to, but they can't. So yeah, but thank, I'm, I'm so blessed that this helped you guys. Um, all right. Now, if there are any questions from what I taught today, reach out. Don't hold your questions to yourself. But what's the point? You know, let's get them answered. All right. So we've come to the end of today's session. Thank you guys for joining in. I would say, hey, don't miss any other session for the rest of your life as, as long as we're doing this. Because, I mean, there is a lot to learn. And the more you learn, the more grace you experience. Grace and peace be multiplied to you by the knowledge of God. All right. So let's have a short word of prayer. Thank you, Lord Jesus. This was amazing. Thank you for enlightening us in your word. Understand differences in dispensation. Understand how to rightly divide the word of truth. Thank you for your word that lives and abides forever. That shows your character. Shows your 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 personality. Even though at the time it was given, the law was given to the Jews, it shows us who you are. And Lord, we want to rightly, we want to rightly use your word. We want to use it for our betterment, for our increase, for our prosperity, for the life that we live, so that we will give you glory, we will live for your fame and for your name, and that the world would see how much you love us. Oh, thank you, Father. I pray, oh Lord, right now for anyone who is hurting, listening to me right now, hurting so deeply you can't talk to anyone about it I show you that the lord sees your heart and he says you are healed from within and he takes all the fear away gives you strength as a replacement and you see only glory ahead thank you father thank you father and for you who has been struggling so much with your devotion you are you are ignited with fire ignited with fire and this is the beginning then this half of the year is the beginning of greater things in your life, greater measures, greater depths in God, in the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, for in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this recording. We hope this session was a blessing to you as it was for us. If you'd like to be an active part of Bible Marathon, maybe join in live on our Sunday sessions, be part of the WhatsApp group, or 
would just like to know more about the Bible Marathon Project, visit our website bit.ly slash bmglive4 for more details. That's bit.ly slash bmglive4 for more details. We pray you stay blessed, experiencing progress and joy in your faith.